Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We got more free agents to go over here on this lovely Thursday on Fantasy NBA Today as I drop my microphone into the stand and a quiet thump. Rattles in the background. All quality here on Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Baspers. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, everybody. Tweet Deck is broken again. That's the news of the morning, at least on my universe. It's a stupid universe to have to revolve around, but I need it to work. It's not working. If you want to reach me today, you're going to have to do it over on Threads because... Well, there isn't a great news feed over there, but at least I can respond to you. I'm in a, a place right now where I can just read. I'm just reading my Twitter timeline, but you can't do anything with it on TweetDeck. You have to open it up. For me, I do it all on a web browser. So I open it up in a new tab. You can do it through the actual Twitter website, but TweetDeck, you can't retweet. You can't quote tweet. You can't reply. You can't send out any messages. It's broken again. It's broken again. Does anybody know why? Why is TweetDeck broken? That's what I'm Google searching right while we talk, right now. And there's nothing from the last 16 hours, but that's while it's been over. Why isn't anybody talking about this? I'm counting on you. Oh, whatever. Anyway, uh, let's get into the stuff. Let's get into the stuff. You guys can't, uh, many of you can't respond to me, but that's fine. So uh, Dan Baspris on Twitter, Dan Baspris on threads. That's where we're at right now. We left off yesterday after the uh, Rui and Cam Reddish Lakers deals going reverse chronologically. You guys know I love to go reverse chronologically. And also, hmm, we got a little piece of news late last night, early this morning, that just bought us a weekend change of content. Oh, baby. NBA season win totals are out early as a you-know-what this year. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you guys, like, July 13th? This is the earliest that I can ever remember NBA season win totals being out. So as soon as we finish up with free agents, and I don't know how long that's going to take us, today, tomorrow, maybe the first day or two of next week? We'll see. Uh, And then we'll pivot into win totals. Hopefully I can get on to some betting podcasts, talk about those as well. Uh, but we will break down one division per episode here. So it'll be a six-episode series. Many of you last year came to me in like, well, typically October, when a lot of folks come back to listen to the pod, and they're like, damn, what, did you ever talk about? Yes, I talked about them when they came out. There are a few teams that are trying to move big pieces. Those are ones where you might want to shy away from the win total a little bit. But for the most part, you know, 26-ish probably of the teams. You want to get in on the win totals early before they move a bunch. Because where they move early is usually the direction that you probably wanted to be on them. Anywho, first name on the board today, the Heat. Brought back Kevin Love and brought back after a hiatus, Josh Richardson. There will be, I'm I'm just going to say it right now, there will be times this year where we consider playing those guys in fantasy. And I don't even know that it's going to be like a burger board related thing. But they're not going to be like 
primetime feature guys. I know that Max Struess is gone and Gabe Vincent is gone, so there is a little bit of an opening. But like we saw with Kevin Love, he was more of a matchup big. He'd slip in there alongside Bam Adebayo when they needed to spread the floor, when they had a little rebounding, when they didn't, when they wanted to go another way. Smaller teams, more athletic teams, they'd go Caleb Martin. That's going to continue. So we already saw what was up with with Kevin Love. Now, the Heat also brought in Thomas Bryant, so there is a more reasonable backup center on the board if Bam Adebayo goes down. So you can't just be like, oh, well, Bam's out, so Kevin Love is going to get a bunch of extra run. It, it hasn't been that simple. Now, if a couple of guys are down, you might get into a burger, a burger board spot with K-Love. Most of the time, we're just going to be watching to see, is there going to be a stretch where they're starting him and he can squeeze his way in like 24 to 26 minutes? Over the long haul, the answer is no, but over, you know, a three or four game stretch somewhere in the middle of the season, the answer is probably. I think he probably ends up on fantasy rosters for like two weeks at some point in the middle of the year, and maybe that happens a couple of times. Similar story, I believe, with Josh Richardson. We've seen that he can now run a little bit more point. He did that uh, a little with San Antonio. He did that a little bit with, where the hell was it? New Orleans, I think, where he was before the, the flipperoo. Uh, no, that's not right. It doesn't matter. Um, so you'll see a little bit of that because inevitably Kyle Lowry's going to go down and if Tyler Hero misses any time, I, don't, I think this one's a pretty easy sell to you guys that Josh Richardson will probably be a member of the burger board this year. Not a guy you need to go drafting because he's old, he's a veteran, he's not being brought in to play 34 minutes a game. But if Lowry goes down, you might see him clear, you know, 25 minutes during those stretches. If Hero goes down, you might see him clearing 25 minutes. If they bring in Dame, then the whole thing shifts because maybe four guys go the other way. And then that actually probably helps a guy like Richardson, unless he's in the deal, I guess, uh, because you just clear out a lot of bodies. And yeah, Dame takes a ton of shots, but if Hero's gone and if they need Lowry's money in the contract or if they whatever... Like, we're looking for minutes for Jay Rich. We're not necessarily looking for usage. We're looking for minutes. And with the team healthy, there aren't enough. There isn't enough, maybe is proper grammar on that. As guys get hurt, then there can be. Draft day? Ultimately what this question comes down to? No, that's a pass. Next on the board, Herb Jones signed a four-year, $54 million extension with the Pels. That's a good deal for uh, for New Orleans because Herb Jones is uh, a good young basketball player. The problem for Herb, which we saw throughout this season, is that he's unwilling to be a part of the offense. And that's a damn shame because the rest of his stuff is like Mikhail Bridges' ultralight. 1.6 steals, 0.6 blocks. Super, super low turnovers, field goal percent that doesn't kill you. Somehow, despite really being sort of an afterthought from a fantasy standpoint, he was number 104 on a per-game basis. Mostly on the shoulders of big steals and a good steals and blocks combined number of 2.2. If you find somebody giving you 2-plus in the steals and blocks department, they can, and Herb Jones is a great example of this, they can basically just coast into top 130 value, and then any little thing beyond that gives them a good shot to push inside the top 100. But 
If Herb Jones can't get inside the top 100 when Zion missed practically the whole season and Brandon Ingram missed half of a damn season, I don't see how this year he's just magically going to get better from a fantasy standpoint. He took under eight shots per game, which effectively made him an afterthought. Because Jay Rich finished the year there, right? That's where he finished. He was in San Antonio before that. I mean, like, Jose Alvarado took more shots per game than Herb Jones. Najee Marshall was right on his heels. Herb was out there for 30 minutes a night, under eight shots in that stretch. Point of comparison, uh, CJ McCollum, 18. Brandon Ingram, 18 and a half. Zion, 16, but also nine free throws. Even Trey Dan Murphy was at 10 shots per game. That's the direction you're looking if you want kind of a young, maybe Mikael Bridges light type. Murphy not uh, quite as accomplished with rebounding uh, and overall steals and blocks numbers, but the efficiency stuff. So I like Herb Jones. I think this is a good deal for the Pels. Uh, They get a lockdown defender, but I don't know that Herb hits fantasy value, like consistent fantasy value, until he goes to a place where he can do some stuff on offense. And even if he gets a little better on offense, it's still not enough because the gap between Herb Jones and the guys above him in offensive ability is quite significant. I don't know how you'd rank these guys. Ion's probably the most dangerous player on offense on that team if he can get out there. Then Ingram. Then... CJ, I don't know, Trey's probably a little more dangerous than CJ at this point in his career, but McCollum can create for himself a little bit more. Either way, well, then you got JV, who's better on offense. Herb Jones is at least as far down the board as the sixth offensive option. If he got a little bit better, there's just nobody he's passing. A little bit more confident? Could 7.7 shots become like 8.2? Yeah, and that probably does push him into the 90s in per-game rank, but is there anything more boring than that? I know, I know, you guys have listened to me talk about the old man and how boring stuff is good, but, like, when you're drafting players at 115, you're not drafting for the boring plotting type. You're shooting the moon at that juncture. Winning your competitive fantasy league is typically not about amassing the largest number of moderately healthy, because Herb did... Miss 15 games. Moderately healthy 90 to 120 range guys. Those dudes are interchangeable. Those dudes are streamable almost. Herb Jones was basically streamable this year. Not quite, but basically. And then you can be like, oh, well, he's only like 15 slots behind CJ McCollum. Yeah, but the way they get there is so very different, and that is important in fantasy. You can find the stuff that Herb is doing. This is probably an easier way to phrase it more simply on the waiver wire than you can the stuff that guys like 20 slots ahead of him are doing. And if you're like, Dan, Trey Murphy's pretty boring. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but I love getting some stuff out of a guy who's a positive in all three of the points league categories. Field goal, free throw, turnover. He's a positive in all three, or net neutral, I guess, in field goal. But for a wing... That's a positive. And then a positive in steals, a positive in threes. I love guys that are a positive in threes and field goal percent. That's a that's a fun little cross-section. Don't hurt my field goal percent, but do keep me competitive in three-pointers. That's unfortunately not Herb Jones. That's Trey Murphy. 
who we still, by the way, haven't seen succeed on a healthy Pels roster. He's also a little bit of a question mark. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Let's keep trucking. Gabe Vincent's deal with the Lakers was the one that was announced previously. Again, we're just going backwards through everything that happened since Friday in the mid-afternoon. The Gabe Vincent deal was kind of the first one that really surprised everybody. He wasn't linked to the Lakers. Nobody really heard about it. And then there he went. So, from a reality standpoint, this one is kind of a a maybe. I know everybody's like, yes, great get, Lakers. And I think overall that's probably true. Because we saw throttled up Gabe Vincent in the playoffs, and it was a thing of relative beauty. He shot the ball better. Um, he just he sort of looked like he belonged in the postseason, you know. In particular, the uh, the Boston series that's where he was the most successful. But also, uh, he had a modicum of success against Milwaukee and a little bit against New York. Not as much in those series. He kind of ran hot and cold. But the big deal for Vincent was that in the playoffs, he made three-pointers. Like, not only did he get to play more, but he made his threes. He played 30 and a half minutes per game in the postseason this year after averaging 26 a game in the regular season. And he was like, okay, well, yeah, I mean... Tyler Hero was out, so someone had to step up, and a lot of that was Gabe Vincent. But let's remember, Kyle Lowry missed a crap ton of time in the regular season, and Gabe Vincent didn't just magically step into 30-plus minutes a game every time he was out. He sort of he earned a larger role come playoff time. But after, and this is, again, this is where everything sort of pivots on his head, after shooting 33% from downtown in the regular season, he shot 38% from downtown in the playoffs, on a relatively high volume, and he missed his last eight of them in a row. So it was actually up around 40 before that kind of tanked it. And he actually went one for his last 14 uh, as, as they lost three games in a row to Denver and just kind of got rolled by the Nuggets. So you can look at this from a couple of standpoints. He had... Uh, 
I guess you could argue two pretty good games against Denver and three bad ones. Does that is that the guy that's going to get the Lakers over the hump against probably the Nuggets? That's the team that beat the Lakers this last year. Um, you know, by himself, the answer is probably no. But does he do more of what the Lakers need as opposed to say Dennis Schroeder? Probably yes. You know, Schroeder's a a very bad or not bad. That's not the right word, but an extremely unreliable shooter from three-point land, but percentage-wise, over his career, he hasn't been that far away from Gabe Vincent. He just doesn't take that many. So which Gabe is the Gabe that the Lakers get? Is it the one that shot 38% in the playoffs, dogged defense, tons of energy, big shot hitter, or is it the one during the regular season that's basically just Dennis Schroeder again? I don't know. We'll find out. From a fantasy standpoint, unfortunately, his numbers don't really stack up. He's uh, he's not going to take that many shots um, because more than likely he's going to be coming off the bench behind D'Angelo Russell, one would assume. Lakers could flip-flop that if they felt like they wanted more defense in the first unit. Um, but during the regular season, you typically don't need to have that like all-defense first unit the way that in the playoffs you kind of want to slow a team down before you kind of throttle back up a little bit. It's a different game in the postseason. So you'll probably see Vincent coming off the bench. He's going to play plenty. You know, 26 minutes a game he got in Miami. He'll probably get something similar to that in Los Angeles. But I would expect his numbers to be not all that different in L.A. Hopefully a little bit better uh, with D'Lo and Braun and Reeves and A.D. around him in a less... Like Miami's... <laughs> Miami offensively was not very good. I know they hit all but a ton of three-pointers. That's what got them to the finals. But offensively, it was a slog, man. It was a slog. So fantasy, I'll take a pass. Moving along, the Spurs retained not Tyus, but Trey Jones on a two-year, $20 million deal. And he likely stays as the starting point guard on that team, which intrigues me in a way that I didn't think I would be intrigued because last year I faded Trey Jones. I thought his hype train was getting a little out in front of itself. A little over his skis in ADP, as it were, as a point guard who doesn't hit three-pointers. It's a weird universe to live in. If you're a point guard who does not hit three-pointers, you have to be excellent at something else to make up for it. It's a, it's weird. He's not going to score a ton, especially now, not that that team has uh, Wembenyama on it, so it's not like his offensive opportunities are about to go through the roof because Keldon Johnson is a chucker. Devin Vassell takes a lot of shots. A lot of these guys would, would figure to be maybe even a hair healthier this coming season. You'll see more Jeremy Sohan. Uh, plenty of backups ready to chuck, but I wouldn't really worry too much about those. The reason I'm kind of intrigued by Trey Jones is that I'm thinking that most of the folks that were bullish on him this year, that went and took him at like 80 because they were hoping for that big step forward, are going to be reticent to take him again because he didn't hit it. 
He sat near the edge of the top 100, which it's funny for me to look at him and say, hey, this is interesting after just talking about how Herb Jones isn't. But you're getting a different selection of stats. Both of those guys give you steals, which is nice. Herb Jones a lot. Trey Jones uh, only slightly less than a lot. He was quite good in that department. Uh, Much better foul shooter, so you get free throws out of Trey Jones. And almost seven assists this last season. And maybe that's the beautiful part of all of this, is that as much as the Spurs keep adding guys that can go and score and do other fun things, Trey Jones is still really the only pass-first point guard on the roster. Or at least one that they'll trust. So even if the shots per game comes down, which it could... The assists and the steals and the free throw and that type of stuff should stay kind of afloat. So is this a dude with a ton of upside? No, absolutely not. Because, again, there are just too many guys in front of him in the shooting pecking order. And a guy, if you're a point guard, you got to have some usage to have value. You can't, just, you can't just amble your way to seven assists and hope that's going to be enough if you're not doing anything else. And that's the risk with him. But if he's getting drafted around 100 and he's probably going to end up around 100, it's that same kind of thing. Why not take Herb Jones there? Well, because you're hunting for somebody that can be a difference maker. Is Trey Jones a difference maker? No. So why am I saying he's different than than Herb in this? No relation. The difference is stat hunting. That's it. You got to know how a player gets to their rank. A nine-cat rank is calculated based on their contributions in all nine categories. Trey Jones provides a category that you could probably get this year around pick 100 that is in short supply around pick 100, at least among guys that aren't going to tank you in some other category. The other guys that'll get drafted around 100 that are okay in assists or later, drafted 100 or later, are probably miserable in some percentage or both or turnovers. He's not. He's like a walk in baseball. It's not even a clean single. It's not even exciting enough to be a single. It's like, all right, I guess this is okay for my team. Like, this is good. Puts my, puts my team in a slightly better position. Was it exciting? No. Did it feel good to do it? No. Did it bore the fans? Yep. I think that's what Trey Jones is going to be this year. He's a base on balls. You guys know me. I love my baseball metaphors, even if they don't really make any sense. Cam Johnson, next name on the board, back with the Nets on a four-year, $108 million deal. Woofda, that is a big one. Brooklyn wanted to lock up their young guys, though, so uh, Cam Johnson got himself a bag. Played in half of his team's games this year, uh, had a meniscus issue that kept him out for pretty much all of those, and then otherwise he was relatively healthy, so I guess that's something. And I don't mean to come across as, uh, I wanted to say cross, but then I just said across. Should have started that over. Can we play rewind on this? I don't mean to sound cross because you guys know about me. I love Cam Johnson's stat set. He is, we just talked about Trey Murphy. He's Trey Murphy with a wider avenue. He's Trey Murphy with an airliner-size runway. Whereas in New Orleans, if everybody's healthy, the runway gets a little more narrow for Trey. 
in Brooklyn, runway's there. Mikael Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Johnson right now, those are the only three dudes on that team that are in any way interested in shooting a basketball. And you know who had the best field goal percent among them? Cam frickin' Johnson. Not by much. He and Mikhail were very damn close. But he's a laser sight from downtown. Very good three-point shooter. Good foul shooter. Rebounds some. Not much. I don't want to put too much stock in that. But with starters minutes, Cam Johnson will almost, almost undoubtedly beat his ADP. Because his injury this last year pissed off a lot of people. And he really didn't... He didn't get almost any attention in Brooklyn after the trade. All the attention went to Mikel Bridges because he was scoring, you know, 26, 30 points a game. While Cam Johnson was just kind of coasting in at 17. But on very good percentages. And by the way, Cam Johnson, much better at steals than people give him credit for. His per minute on steals is pretty good. I don't know where he's going to get drafted, but I would assume, based on similar players with similar roles in the past, that he's probably going to get collected, uh, call it 6th, 7th round territory. That would be my guess on Cam. And I would probably take him there. Because a healthy Cam Johnson on that roster, I'm assuming is going to slowly increase from 12 shots per game. I don't know to what level. But are they going to really rely on Mikael Bridges taking 19, 20 shots a night? I think that that gets split a little bit more evenly. You probably see Cam inch up towards 13, 13 and a half. And usage, my friends, is good for Cam. Usage is good. Because we always talk about the usage categories, which is points, threes, assists, both percentages, and turnovers. Cam Johnson's turnover number not all that highly impacted by his usage. So, great. That is a very small negative as he takes more shots. And field goal percent, a very small negative as he takes more shots. Meaning that the positives, scoring, big positive, threes, big positive, assists, very, very, very small positive. Call that a wash with turnovers. Free throw percent, positive as well. So you got a small negative on field goal percent, you got a wash somewhere else, and you got positives in free throw, points, and threes. Every extra touch and shot he gets is a big plus for his fantasy value. And I see a lot of ways that Cam Johnson can be a top 50 fantasy play on a per-game basis this year. I see a lot of ways for him to get there. He was pretty damn close at the end of last year, and I don't even think he was running at full tilt at that point. They paid him, they locked him up, and they did so to play him and to let him do his thing. If Cam Johnson gets drafted at 60 or later, I'm probably in. Because to me, about the worst case scenario for him on a per-game basis is 70. I don't know how he, like, unless something crazy happens, they could make a, a bunch of moves and guys could, I guess, take stuff away, but... 70-75 range is probably your their basement. And then if he starts to take more shots, like every extra shot he takes, he probably jumps another five, six, call it half a round in value. At 12 shots a game, he's probably around 55. 13 shots a game, he's inside the top 50. 14 shots a game, he's probably in the low 40s. 
So there is upside built in there. I like Cam Johnson a lot for this coming season, and I hope that his injury this last year hid some of that value. I guess we'll find out when we get some of that early ADP data. Um, Jakob Pertl is the next name on the board, but I have a lot to say about him, and that'll run us a little longer than I intend on this podcast. So I'm just going to tell you guys here at the end of the show again, hey, go check out the NFL Pass. NFL Fantasy Pass at Sports Ethos or the All Sport Fantasy Pass. That's the one you really want to get. Sorry, football lovers. I don't love NFL that much. I'm going to play it, and I'm probably going to lose because I don't fully understand. Like It it just feels like there's so much luck involved. But that's what someone says who doesn't play it all the time. Uh, Get the All Sport Fantasy Pass because then you get all of our basketball stuff on top of the football draft guide that's out already. You'll get baseball as it loops back around next year. Uh, you get the Brewski 150 early in the All Sport Fantasy Pass, and it's seven bucks per month right now, and is going up to ten bucks a month later in July. I mean, I, I don't—I actually don't know. I haven't been given the date that the first NBA draft item is going to drop. But the day that that drops, the All Sport Fantasy Pass goes up to ten bucks, and it never comes back down again. So, if you want it for seven for the rest of your life, you got to sign up now. That's at SportsEthos.com. Dan Vespers is where you can find me. Again, if you want to chat right now, I would recommend doing it on threads because I can't reply to things. I can't tweet from TweetDeck again, but at least I can read stuff. If you send me something on on Twitter, uh, I'm probably going to try to reply to you on threads. (laughs) That's what's going on right now. Fix TweetDeck, you jerks. Ugh. Ugh. It's always something right now. Ah, well. We'll finish up the week tomorrow. Have a great Thursday, everybody. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Later for now.